Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, hey, TCC. My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. Please open up your Bibles if you have them to 3rd John, it's toward the end of the Bible there. We are wrapping up this brief sermon series on these three epistles, these three letters from John, and I hope that they have edified you. Uh, but hear now the word of the Lord. The elder, to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is the word of the Lord, and we say... Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's the common liturgical call and answer that we often use when we approach God's word. I don't invoke it all that often, but I wanted to today because when it comes to this letter, if it were just up to us, if we were the ones in charge of deciding what is and what isn't the word of God, if we were the ones to say which writings were included in our Bible and which ones weren't, Without the prompting and guiding of the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure this would make the list. It's a nice letter, but it might strike us as unimportant or insignificant. Now, it's most likely from John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was part of the Twelve in the inner circle. So that gives it some status, certainly. But I'm sure John wrote lots of letters that didn't wind up in our Bible, that weren't God-breathed in this way. It's a nice letter, but... Come on, it's not exactly 1 John. 1 John is brimming with deep and rich theology and a a high Christology and amazing and challenging statements. And even 2 John, which is more like this letter in its ordinariness, at least has some serious warnings for us, dealing with really serious issues, dealing with heresy and antichrist, right? Listen to these words. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. 
anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. That's pretty serious. That's a strong statement. That's a strong warning. Now, in 3 John, there's a warning, too. John calls out a man, Diotrephus, who seems to be a leader in the church. And what is Diotrephus doing? Well, he's putting himself first. Okay. And he's saying bad things about us. All right. And he's being inhospitable. He's not welcoming missionaries or other Christians. So basically, you have a guy who holds sway in this church, and he's being kind of a jerk. Well, that's not good, but in comparison to what other churches were dealing with and what so much of the New Testament is addressing, the dysfunction and perversion and idolatry and heresy and false teachers, in comparison, this letter might seem a little insignificant. I don't even know if John, when writing this, would have thought, yes, this this letter is clearly the inspired word of God. It just seems like a letter. It's small. It's short. It's not theologically dense. It's practical in some ways, just telling his friend, hey, I'm coming to visit. And it's seemingly insignificant. But it is God-breathed. It is the very words of God. And thanks be to him. Because these are words that we really need to hear. And in some ways, this passage might be more pertinent for us. I would really hope as a church, I would really hope as followers of Christ, that we're not antichrist. That we're not denying Jesus as the Messiah. I would really hope that we're not steeped in heresy. That'd be bad. I would really hope that we're not surrounded by false teachers. But do we put ourselves first? Do we sometimes speak nonsense about others? Are we inhospitable? Those may seem like small things, but that's really all it takes to not see God. John challenges us in this letter to not imitate what is evil, but to imitate what is good. And he gives two contrasting examples. He commends Gaius and he condemns Diotrephus. Gaius is servant-hearted, servant-minded. Diotrephus puts himself first. He praises Gaius' hospitality and commends how he treats fellow believers. Verse 5, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. In contrast to Diotrephus, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. And then it says, Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Don't imitate that. Imitate what is good. So how are we doing, church? What are we imitating? Are we welcoming to believers? Are we hospitable? Well, we have a welcome booth. That's got to be welcoming. It's got the name welcome right in it. We have greeters who will greet you. They'll say good morning to you. We create space in our service where we greet one another, even though it can be super awkward and maybe last too long for your liking. We still do it. And we have connect cards to make connections. And we offer refreshments because we want to be hospitable. We want to make you feel welcome. And those are all fine things. And we put thought and attention to it. And you have to start somewhere. But hospitality within the family of God is not a trivial nicety. And what we're really after is a sense of belonging. Belonging is one of our mission principles. Here's what we said about it. 
We desire that our church would be a welcoming community that practices radical hospitality and shows no partiality. We see the church as a respite for sojourners and a glimpse of our eternal home. We want all of our members to feel loved, appreciated, and cared for in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's one of our key verses for that mission principle, Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Your race doesn't matter. Your class or social status doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Even if you're a stranger, if you belong to Christ, then you belong with us. You have a place at the table. You are a member of the body. You have a role and a purpose, and you belong. And the things that so often cause division and separation and us-versus-them mentality, things like race and class and gender, has no place within the people of God. Meaningless division, empty cliques, and superficial demarcations have no place in the church of God. But that doesn't mean there isn't a line. That doesn't mean there isn't a meaningful demarcation. There is. It is a conditional statement. We are one in Christ if you belong to Christ. In fact, what did John say in 2 John? We just read it. Let's go back to that. What did he say? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Don't welcome. Don't be hospitable. There's an important distinction here. There's an important theological issue. They deny Christ. They deny he's the Messiah. They're deceivers. They're not believers. That is an appropriate demarcation. That is an appropriate us versus them mentality. There are lines that do need to be drawn, as we're painfully aware as we're going through a separation with our denomination. Because we think that the authority of Scripture is a line that needs to be drawn. But there are plenty of churches that can fall into this trap, that put hospitality and welcoming and belonging above all else, with no lines and no limits. Starts by just softening the message, because hard truths can be hard to hear. And you might feel convicted. You might feel bad about yourself. It might lead you to feel unwelcome. I can't have that. No, we need to accept people. We need to affirm their lifestyle. We need to affirm all of their choices because otherwise they may not feel like they belong. And then eventually when you get down to it, this whole Jesus is the only way thing feels pretty exclusive. It's not very welcoming. If hospitality is everything, if belonging is everything, and we want everyone to belong, then before you know it, Jesus is not the way, Jesus is a way. Because that's the only way that we can all feel welcome. That's how we can all belong. No, we don't want to fall into that trap. There are limits on welcoming and hospitality, and John is not saying to put it above all else. But I think that we can very easily underplay its importance. And the thing is, human beings have a desperate need to belong, so much so that they'll chase that need to their own destruction. You know, you you hear gang members talk about brotherhood. 
Right? The world gave them a broken home. The gang gave them a family. Society marginalized them. The gang gave them a people, gave them a purpose and a sense of belonging. Or you have isolated and lonely and confused people who find welcoming in the arms of the LGBTQ community. Because it's a community, a place to belong, a place to fit in. Belonging is a need of the human heart. And what a wretched thing it is when the church fails to be the answer to that need. Because the only way we find our true place in this world is in relation to our Creator. The only way we find comfort and acceptance is in the arms of our Savior. The only way we find fellowship and family is in the God our Father. The only way we have true and eternal belonging is as His people and members of His body. The church needs to be the answer. Those who are searching for belonging should see it and find it here. And if that's true of non-believers, how much more so should that be true for believers? The church should be the expression of the belonging that we have in Christ. And if believers don't find belonging in the church, well, then where will they? What a horrid thought it is that brothers and sisters in Christ could come into our fellowship and not find belonging. And that's something more than just niceties. That's something more than just 30 seconds of greeting time. And honestly, this is something that we've historically struggled with as a church. We've heard it. People have said things like, everyone is very nice and friendly, but then that's about it. And I never quite feel like I fit in. Have you ever gone to an event or a party and you don't know anybody? And maybe the person that you were with stepped out and now you're just standing around awkwardly. Maybe that's just me, but I I think it's a universal experience. Or how about in the cafeteria at college? Remember those days? You know, high school doesn't have that same issue because you're all on the same schedule. So if you have friends, you're good. But in college, everyone has a different schedule. And so all of your friends might have gone earlier or they're in class. And so you go alone to the cafeteria and you look around. Uh, Do I know anybody? And, and you don't. And so now you've got to make a choice. Do I join someone? That's awkward. Do I grab a table by myself? That's awkward too. You know, some people bring a book and read and eat to mitigate the awkwardness. And it's a funny thing, right? Because no one feels awkward about eating alone in general. We do it all the time. I'll be in my house by myself eating alone. Never once felt awkward about it. It's only awkward when we're alone around other people. And that's the reality. You will never feel more alone in life than when you are surrounded by people, but you don't belong. And we can think, well, they do belong. The cafeteria doors were open to them after all. They were invited to the party. Of course they're welcome. There were refreshments for them. We have a welcome booth. We greet one another. Why wouldn't they feel like they belong? But you see, right? Belonging is something more than just niceties. And we can be really good at inviting people to the party and not at all good at helping people fit in. And as a church, we have multiple unique challenges with this. There are a lot of ways for the enemy to sow division among us. We are one church, two campuses, three services. 
If we're not careful, if we're not mindful, that is rife for potential division, for ungodly demarcation, for an us versus them mentality unbefitting the people of God. No, we are one in Christ. But there is a danger there. It's a challenge that we face and embrace as a church. Another unique challenge that we have is that we are a church filled with large, generational, biological family in tight-knit groups. People have literally grown up with each other. And that's amazing and a wonderful thing. It is. But it has a shadow side. In reading this letter, probably one verse was very familiar to you. Maybe your ears perked up when you heard it. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is one of those verses that is frequently used, but hardly ever said in its original context. When we use it, we're usually speaking biologically, of our biological children. But when John uses it here, he's speaking spiritually. He's speaking of a spiritual son, of spiritual children. He means it the same way the Apostle Paul does in places like 1 Corinthians when he says this, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He was a spiritual father to them, leading them to Christ and caring for them as a father. Now, of course, we do have great joy when our biological children walk in the truth. But our families, and especially our children, can be an empty click and superficial demarcation and produce in us an us versus them mentality within the family of God. Now, frankly, the most common way that I see people putting themselves first is when it comes to their children. Because we're natural advocates for our kids, and we do have special calling over them, but that can lead us to put them first and cater to them. You know, can my kid be in the front of the class? Because he has a hard time paying attention. Like, can we change the time? Because eh, that doesn't work best for my kid. My kid doesn't really like that food. Can, can we have this instead? My kid prefers this music over that music. Let's change the worship set. My kid is kind of uncomfortable with that. Let's, let's nix that idea. My kid prefers this activity over that activity, so let's plan accordingly. My kid grew up with this Bible translation, so let's alter our memory verses, shall we? As a parent, that is really easy to fall into because it doesn't feel selfish. It doesn't feel like you're putting yourself first because it's all on behalf of of someone else. But whether we realize it or not, a line has been drawn. And it's us, and it's them, within the family of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that your family can't be, or that it's wrong to be a tight-knit group. You should be. And I'm not suggesting that you're guilty of showing partiality or favoritism just because you have family or friends, or just because you're closer to some people than others. That, that's okay. Jesus was perfect, and Jesus had an inner circle. He did. He was closer to some people than others. That's not the problem. The problem is when we're no longer servant-minded, when we become so content in our own sense of belonging that we don't see or tend to others. I'm content. I feel like I belong. I have my family. I have my friends. I'm good. I don't need more people in my life. Is that relatable? Is that sentiment relatable? What causes that mindset and what do we do about it? 
Well, in, in The Lord of the Rings, in the movie The Two Towers, our protagonists are cornered at Helm's Deep, and a massive army is descending upon them, and they are heavily outnumbered. But then this happens. Take a look. Send for the king. Open the gate! once existed between elves and men. Long ago we fought and died together. We come to honor that allegiance. My Govani. You are most welcome. Wraps him in a bear hug and says, you are most welcome. Very hospitable. And that hospitality came very naturally, didn't it? And it wasn't because he was lacking in family or friends or just wanting to broaden his social circles. No. Now, now there's friendship there. There's relationship there. But this hospitality doesn't come from that. It wasn't driven socially. It was driven missionally. It's because they're in a war. And so are we. We are in a spiritual war and our belonging is missional. Our belonging is in service to something. It's not a social club. You know, hear these words again from 3 John. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. We grow content with our friends and family, satisfied with our own sense of belonging when we lose sight of our mission. But belonging is important not just for our personal gratification, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our ministry, for the sake of our mission. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And we need you in the fight. I want you to find your people and to find your place to belong because you are a member of the body of Christ and the body has work to do. Our belonging is missional. Our belonging is in service to something. If you don't feel like you belong, that's a problem. And the church can do better. But belonging is also a two-way street. You know, like the analogy of the person at the party, it's not enough just to invite people. But it's a two-way street. You don't have to just stand around awkwardly. You can press in. You know, there are some people who complain that they don't fit in, but do nothing to press in either. Show up, stay for the service, and then make a beeline for the car. Well, that's probably not going to do it. The absolute best way to find your people and to find your place is to serve. Get plugged in. Volunteer somewhere. Press into small groups. God has equipped you, God has gifted you by his power for the work and benefit of his church. You know, one of the ways that we put ourselves first 
is when we approach church as consumers and not contributors. But our belonging is missional. We show hospitality so that we may work together for the truth. And our genuine, heartfelt love for one another grows from that. You know, I'm not an extrovert. I don't have a big social need. I, I really don't. But I absolutely have felt a love and gratitude for members of this body when I see them doing the work in Christ in ways that I'm totally incompetent at. It is a deep, comforting joy to see that I'm not alone in this. And neither are you. You know, here's what our belonging looks like, and I'll end with this. Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Amen. Let us be imitators of what is good. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.